and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to head over to a fun little party in the woods with some of our girlfriends, you know. Uh, we're going to uh, head over to the weird quarry that has like a, a bus at the bottom of it with uh, the ghosts of dead children. And also we will uh, try to fight for our life against a little uh, boy demon thing in like footy pajamas but you know whatever uh, besides all that though uh today we're gonna be covering a little movie uh from 2007 or 2009 depending on what you think uh called trick-or-treat uh so welcome to the wonderful month of october uh the spooky month of the year uh all the spooky things are coming out and that's all fine and dandy and on this particular uh show you're listening to right now uh, we will be, over the course of this month, going over a bunch of different spooky movies, so hope you're, hope you're into that. But, uh, you know, my, my history with Trick or Treat is, is, a, is a fun one, I think. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure I saw this movie at least back in 2009 or 2010. I feel like I just, I had a friend who knew about it or something like that, like I... Or, or, like, borrowed someone's DVD of it or something. I don't exactly remember. But, like, I just feel like I saw it at least when it had come out on DVD or or I knew somebody who had it or, or whatever, right? Um, and then, uh, funny enough, too, uh, this was, like, two years ago or something like that. Uh, it was actually on Max, uh, HBO Max. Uh, and it was streaming. And I decided to show my family it. Um, and they were... Uh, maybe not enthused i don't know but um but uh it this has always been a movie that i i've really enjoyed and i i really like it and i think it's so fun and and enjoyable and and it's had this interesting kind of life of where it's now become sort of i i guess you could say a classic if you will but i still think it has that that cult classic dna in it um as like a cult film and also just the story behind it of how it came to be and and everything like that i I think it's very interesting as well um which is why i wanted to start the month off with it um but yeah so i mean that's my history with it and i'm just i'm i'm so happy to be covering it because i think it's uh it's obviously been covered by all different sorts of podcasts i'm sure and and whatever and youtube channels and things of the like but i I still think there's a reason for it because this movie I think is really honestly one of the best horror anthologies, you know, uh, that's a part of a, a category of horror that can already have misses. You know what I mean? Um, there are a couple ones that are really great. And then there are a couple of, uh, the horror anthologies that are not that good, but, um, not everything can be tales from the hood. You know what I mean? But this one definitely, I think just cements itself as like, uh, just honestly such a, uh, a classic within the, the horror genre and uh, the horror anthology, uh, sub genre, if anything. But as we normally do on this show, though, we're going to go into some production history, talk about the cast figures of the movie. We'll do a little bit of a plot breakdown of the movie and we'll go through each of the stories. Um, maybe go through a little bit of character stuff. Although I don't think we have to go through too much of that. Uh, but without further ado, let's move on to those figures. So Trick or Treat was released October 6th of 2009 officially. However, we will get into that, but it was actually completed in 2007 and it actually showed it like a film festival, but we'll get into all that. Uh, this is an 82 minute runtime, which uh, without credits is only like 70 something minutes anyway so it's nice and short uh it was distributed by warner brother pictures um you know big big old studio uh sag after strike solidarity of course um that shit is probably still going on and it's crazy but anyway uh and we're also looking at a 12 million dollar budget uh for this movie as well uh, which was confirmed by the director actually um for opening weekend ranking gross guess what i don't have one because it didn't have a theatrical release when it came out so that's fun uh but uh if anything there was an international gross um that came i guess and that was about twenty seven thousand uh nine hundred and nine dollars uh from what i found um this movie uh did pretty well in terms of home video sales though and it made about 12 million bucks in blu-ray and dvd sales so needless to say it was able to to make something if, if anything but 
That's what happened with this. Uh, and then Rotten Tomatoes and like the reviews and everything, we're looking at about an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes with about 33 reviews. And then um, a 72% from audiences with about 25,000 uh, re- uh, ratings on there. Um, so that's kind of interesting to see. But maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea, I guess. But, you know, I think a majority of people definitely like it. And a 3.5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. And so we have those like figures, numbers, things, and then we have our cast and crew of the movie as well. Um, so this is uh, written and directed by a gentleman by the name of Mike Doherty. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, so he is the guy who is pretty much Sam's dad, I guess. <laughs> Sam is a little character in this movie. And um, he has directed this movie and also Krampus from 2015 with Tony Collette um, and also did Godzilla King of the Monsters as well. Um, so he directed both of those movies and this one. And in terms of writing, he wrote uh, the X-Men, a lot of the X-Men movies, X2 to be exact, but he's done other ones as well. Um, and also he did um a little movie that I don't know if I'll cover or not, but we'll see, uh, is Urban Legends Bloody Mary, which is the direct-to-video sequel of Urban Legend, I guess, um, that has a pre-fame Kate Mara in it, which is weird. And that movie's just weird as hell. But anyway, so um, I literally watched that when it was on like fucking pay-per-view or something like that. This is how old I am. But anyway, so... But that's what we're looking at with uh, what he wrote as well before. But he's written other things, too, and and all that. Uh, now, what I will say right here, right now, before we move into the other people who are part of this this crew, um, this movie was very unfortunately produced by one Brian Singer, who is a known... Hollywood producer. He produced like the X-Men movies and made a buttload of money from those and, and all this and is also, I guess, if I'd have to say, an alleged uh, predator uh, for gay men, young gay men. And uh, he's a fucking uh, disgusting piece of trash. So, uh, you know, not that he'll hear this ever, but like, whatever. Uh, yeah, fuck him. Fuck him to hell. Uh, it's horrible. Uh, yeah. So that's what I have to say about Brian Singer. It, it's worse than the fact that he is like a gay man and he like preyed upon young gay men trying to get into the industry. That just makes it that much worse. You know what I mean? For me, like as a gay person, I'm just like, ugh. like we don't claim him like at all. And to be fair, not fair to him, but like, but, but honestly, like with this, so this movie does have that Brian Singer thing in it. I mean, he produced it. It wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for him in a way, but I give way more credit to Mike Doherty personally, because I mean, he created the story. He created this little character. Like, you know, he directed this, he wrote it. I mean, I give him way more credit. Um, Similarly, like, I also give more credit to someone like Ira Levin, who, you know, wrote Rosemary's Baby and, like, Stepford Wives and stuff. And Rosemary's Baby is an amazing movie, right? But it was made and it was, well, directed by Roman Polanski, who's a fucking monster. So, like, I don't give Roman Polanski that much credit. Yes, he directed that movie. But, like, I give a lot more credit to Ira Levin for writing the book because the book is pretty much the movie. And so I give a lot more credit to him than I would someone like Roman Plansky. On this side, I give a lot more credit to Mike Doherty, who seems like just a cool dude, um, than that piece of shit Brian Singer. But anyway, off my little soapbox and my I hate Brian Singer fan club thing, we're going to move on to the other rest of the crew. But I, of course, had to bring it up because, you know, got to bring that shit up because you kind of can't. You kind of can't not bring it up. But anyway, um, because he's on this fucking Blu-ray and shit with the, like, special features and stuff. So anyway. But then we have, like, our composer, Douglas Pipes, um, who has done movies like The Babysitter on Netflix and also Krampus. So he worked with Mike Doherty again. And he also did a little movie uh, right around the same time that this movie came out um, or around the time that it was being filmed was actually he did Monster House. He was the composer for that, which is like a little like um, it's not Disney, but it's like a, <clears throat> it's a Warner Brother movie, I'm pretty sure. And it's like a 3D animation type movie. Really interesting. Uh, go check it out if you want to. Um, and then cinematographer is Glenn McPherson. Um, the only thing I really found that he did that was like kind of of note is doing some of the Resident Evil sequels. Like he shot some of those. He's done other things too, but that was something that kind of uh, jumped out at me, if you will. 
which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, the editor of this movie is Robert Iveson, who really, he only, I think, edited this movie. It was of note, really. Um, so there's that. And then also... Um, yeah, so those are, like, kind of our other, like, crew members and stuff that are, like, of kind of base note, if you will. But then we move into our cast as well. So, again, we have this kind of interesting, I don't even, I guess I would maybe call it, like, a little of an ensemble cast, quote-unquote, even though they only, uh, as you as you will find, or if you don't already know, uh, they cross each other's paths at some point. But, um, yeah, they're all in their own respective little, little uh stories but we have like dylan baker who um plays uh the principal of a, of a middle school i think um and he is uh he's the guy he's in um let me see he's in spider-man 2 he's in requiem for a dream he's in all sorts of movies um he's dylan baker you know and and he came onto this project uh other person who i guess would be of note i guess she was be the most famous person would be anna paquin who you know won an oscar when she was like 12 for the piano but also has been in like um almost famous she was in the x-men movies as rogue um she was in uh She's All That and other movies like this. Um, You know, she was in all those kinds of ones. And she was in True Blood, of course. Um, Then you have Brian Cox, who plays uh, Mr. Krieg in this movie. Um, But he's, of course, like a well-known British actor. He was in Zodiac, Autopsy of Jane Doe. And that's like not even scratching the surface of what he's done. But um, that's Brian Cox, you know. And uh, and of course, he's in this movie. Uh, Rochelle Eights, um, who in this film, she is, uh, well, in this film, but she's also in White Chicks. I... I don't remember exactly what uh, part she had in that, but she was in that movie. And she was also in Medea's family reunion. Um, So I guess she's one of um, Lori, who's Anna Paquin. It's one of her friends. Um, And then Quinn Lord, um, who has gone on to do other things. He plays Sam uh, in the movie, but also uh, he's really known for this movie, but he's been able to have other things as well. He was like a little kid when he did this. Um, And then also Leslie Bibb, who is in the beginning, she plays Emma is her name. And she was in like the babysitter movies, which is interesting because the guy who did the music also worked on the babysitter. So that's kind of fun. And she's also in like private parts. I think she was in popular, which is a Ryan Murphy show, um, things like that. So Leslie Bibb, that's what she was doing doing so yeah that's a little bit about our casting crew of the movie um and yeah so like this movie made about 12 million bucks like in home video sales um little fun fact about some stuff so like uh quinn lord is actually the little kid in the beginning where he's like peeping on the girls in their costumes or whatever when they're in the halloween store they're in the costume store that is quinn lord um who also plays sam in this movie uh little also fun little fact so there's a scene in the beginning where you have leslie bibbs character emma she's like taking down all the stuff in her front yard after coming back from like this halloween parade and there's a scene where she's taking the shit down in her her yard and there's a guy who's like ominously looking at her from across the street and he has like this weird mask on or whatever right and then we find out that he like uh is just some kid who's like waiting for his friends to pick him up or whatever but that guy is actually a actor by the name of Jesse Haddock, great name by the way, um, but he is actually married to Thomas Decker. Um, he is Thomas Decker's husband, and Thomas Decker, uh, of course, I bring him up on the podcast all the time because I've just like watched his movies. He was uh, in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. He's in All About Evil. Um, he's on the Sarah Chrono Chronicles, like in Village of the Damned and uh, 1990s from John Carpenter. All the things. So uh, yeah, but that's his husband in there. So that's kind of a little fun thing. Um, also, funny thing as well, uh, so you'll hear this in maybe a couple weeks, but uh, uh, there are two actors that are pretty much extras in this movie. They're not like super important actors in the film. Um, but like uh, they are actually there's two people who are in this movie who then ended up uh, who actually before this had played uh, two of the 13 ghosts in the movie 13 ghosts from 2001 by Steve Beck. Um, and those were um, Laura Manel, who plays the bound woman in 13 ghosts. She plays the person who um, that vampire person guy kills uh 
at that Halloween parade, like in the alley or whatever. That's her. And then um, C. Ernst Heith, I believe. Um, he plays the great son, who is the great son in the dire mother. He's like this big baby who killed all these people at a circus or whatever um, for 13 Ghosts. And he plays uh, like the blind date of Lori, where um, they're at this party in the woods or whatever, and Lori's on her way to it. And there's like um, her friend calls her and she's like, you know, oh, I have this guy. He's like really young or whatever. And it's like this guy, C. Ernst Hath, who's like a, a you know, big uh, actor. He's like overweight, you know, actor, dude. Um, yeah, I could relate. But, uh, you know, so I, I just love that the, both of them are in it. Um, really because this movie was shot in Canada, of course, because why wouldn't it be? Uh, but yeah, so I mean, uh, it makes sense that they would uh, just use Canadian actors, of course. Uh, Jesse Haddock himself is Canadian, I think, too. So, like, it makes sense that they just had these people and they use them. Why not? Um, but yeah, so there was that. Now, to talk a little bit about just production in general, um, you know, we got to talk a little bit about just who Mike Doherty is and also how he came to, like, make this film. Uh, so Mike Doherty, he is from Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. He's from Columbus, Ohio. And so he really grew up and he was always a fan. He's he's a, a October baby. So, you know... Um, Happy early birthday, Mike Doherty. <laughs> His birthday is on the 28th of October. So he always grew up with like this um, interest in Halloween because it was right around his birthday, but he always just really liked it, right? And so he um, ended up, you know, he was growing up making like little things here and there, um, you know, wanted to be a filmmaker. So he went to Tisch School of the Arts, of course. Um, and he actually, as part of this, he did a little movie um, in 1986 um, called Season's Greetings, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but yeah, and he is uh, he is of uh, Asian descent. His mom is Vietnamese and his dad was Irish-Hungarian. Um, so there's a little bit of that. But yeah, like he did this little um, animated short film called Seasons Greetings, and it was just a hand-drawn film. Um, it marked the debut of Sam, which again, we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but he then went on to, but he didn't really do anything with like um, animation, like he wasn't going to do that. So he ended up uh, co-writing several scripts, uh, screenplays, uh, including, of course, what I just mentioned, uh, X2, which was the sequel to the X-Men movie that was released in 2003. And he also did, like, Urban Legends Bloody Mary, and then he did Superman Returns as well. Um, so he was just, you know, uh, writing scripts beforehand, and then he got his chance, um, you know, with the help of bleh, Brian Singer, um, because, you know, they were working on the X-Men movies at one point, you know, and also, I think, Superman movie. Um they wanted him to be like, hey, you know what? You should go do this movie. So that's kind of how it really came to be, honestly. Uh, it really was just the idea that, like, um, it was this, you know, little short that came out, which you can find on the Blu-ray. Um, I have the Blu-ray from um, Shot Factory, Scream Factory. Um, it's a little collector's edition or whatever. Um, but yeah, it is, uh, it's also on the DVD, I think, as well. But it's also on the Blu-ray. Um, and it was on Fearnet uh, in October 2013 as part of apparently a 24-hour trick-or-treat marathon, which I guess they just showed the movie for 24 hours straight. So why, why wouldn't they? <laughs> um, but yeah, they threw him, you know, pretty much. They wanted him to make this movie. They were like, hey, you know what? Go ahead. Um, we're going to give you $12 million to do it. And there you go. So, Trick or Treat was, of course, filmed on location in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, and pretty much what happened was they they made this movie. And, uh, you know, it was, it was sort of a, a probably a little bit of a tough shoot, you know. But, I mean, I think Mike Doherty did a fine job with what he was given. And, of course, this is like kind of a passion project of his, really. Um, and it was slated for an October 5th, um, 2007 a theatrical release and they even had merchandise and everything like you know thought up and like they had it like where it was going to release and everything but then it was announced in 2007 in september that the film had been pushed back and after many festival screenings it was actually then released um on home video in 2009 um so there's plenty of speculation about what exactly happened with this um you know, some people want to say, oh, it was because of, like, the critical 
failure that was Superman Returns, which, again, I don't really know if that would really make sense, honestly. I think the more logical, like, thought that maybe would be that this is a Warner Brothers movie, and Warner Brothers, if you don't already know, is the ones who did Saw, as the studio who did Saw, and so Saw, as somebody who, you know, lived through the 2000s and was there, um, Saw was huge at this time. I mean, and so for them, maybe they didn't want to compete with the Saw franchise, you get what I'm saying? Maybe that was part of their decision or, or whatever. Um, but the fact that it got pushed back for like literally two years or something, it's kind of ridiculous to me. I don't quite understand that. And, and the kind of shittier part in a way too is more so just like the fact that they never really gave him a reason either of why that happened <laughs> you know like and that's just and Mick Doherty will even say that to this day like you know he's, he doesn't know why that happened like at all um he talks about it on the Blu-ray um, in this little documentary they they have on there. Uh, but oh, they also mentioned it. He's also mentioned it. Like um, I think you can find an article. I can't remember the article and who wrote it. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sorry. But uh, but he uh, he talks about it in that article as well. Like um, you know you can you can find out all about that. But yeah, he does talk about that as well. And he's just like kind of per- he's not even perturbed by it. But I think it was just more so like a just doesn't know why this happened like you know and I, I guess he just wishes maybe he had a reason um but this movie really kind of went in a way it kind of found a life of its own really um in a weird way it just it was able to come out and I think it was a lot of word of mouth too, because it didn't get that theatrical release. So you didn't have people who could go to the movie theater and see it, you know? And so it was very much like, uh, you know, Oh, Hey, if you like horror, like you should check out this trick or treat movie. Like it's really good or like whatever. Right. And so I just think like in this way, I mean, I just think like that's kind of the, the interesting thing about, a movie like trick or treat for me is that like, it is a movie that has, it had its own little, you know, it had to have a, a kind of a cult following because it wasn't something that was released, um, traditionally. Um, and Mike Doherty has even said specifically that, you know, he, he's happy with how this kind of all went, you know, even though he didn't get his reason of like, why the hell they pushed this movie back. But like, you know, he feels like this is how this movie had to come out, you know? And that's totally fair. I mean, like, you know, you make lemons, you make lemonade out of lemons, right? You know? So, um, but like, yeah, I, I think that's totally understandable. Like, you know, um, whether it matters or not, like why they pushed it back. But I think the fact that it has such a strong fan base now of people who, you know, love this movie and they enjoy these characters. They think Sam is so cute. Uh, they have merchandise of him. They have shirts of him, things like that. I just think that's so nice. And I, I just think it's like, so indicative of just like how this audience has that. And, um, exactly what it needed to be it it had to you know have this little kind of cult fandom of it um so that people could really understand like hey this is actually a pretty decent movie and it's actually pretty good you know so that's what i think about it at least um yeah i'm trying to think if there's anything else before we move into any kind of a plot breakdown or like anything like that um of this film, but they don't have anything else really to say i mean you know really it got its release um it got a theatrical release in 2022 um, where it was shown, I think probably as part of like um, fathom events or something or, or something where they showed it during um, Halloween um, or during that month of October. Um, I'm sure you could still catch it. I, I'm pretty sure like you could still catch it around your area. If you look up trick or treat, um, you'll probably find some sort of, if you're in near a major city or whatever, or even just like a bigger city than maybe where you live, uh, you could find like a theater that might show it. Well, around that time, just kind of fun. And, and again, that kind of just speaks to uh, the the audience that it has and, and the impact that it has had on um, the horror genre as a whole, you know, and and it's cool to see somebody who I think Mike Doherty is a, some sort of a fan of horror, of course. And I think why wouldn't he be? Um, and so 
but I also think like he was a fan of Halloween. Like he's a fan of the holiday as a whole and he wanted to pay respect to the holiday um, in this way that he knew how. So yeah, I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing, but uh, without further ado, though, we've kind of talked about, you know, how the movie came to be, the little bit of production history you have about it. But we're now going to move into just like a plot breakdown about what exactly is Trick or Treat about. So to do a little bit of a plot breakdown. So pretty much this movie takes place on Halloween night um, in the fictional town of Warren Valley, Ohio, which makes sense because uh, Mike Doherty himself is from Ohio. He's from Columbus. So this plot follows like a non-linear narrative. So these are all their own separate stories and they intertwine at some point, um, which I'll talk about um, during the course of the summary. But, you know, generally that's what this is with characters that cross paths throughout the movie. But at the center of the story, we have Sam, who's a peculiarly uh, little trick-or-treater in a burlap pajama costume, um, who appears to, I guess, enforce the rules of Halloween um, in particular. So Sam, of course, is from the Season's Greetings cartoon that um, I was talking about a little bit earlier. But that is that. And he's also, uh, he's named kind of after... uh, Sawin, weirdly enough. So uh, if you've ever seen Halloween 3, no, not Halloween 3, I think it was Halloween 2. I think it was Halloween 2, actually, um, where <laughs> somebody writes uh, S- uh, Sawin on a, a, a blackboard, but um, <laughs> Donald Pleasance, uh, good old uh, uh, Dr. Loomis, uh, he said, uh, Sam Hain. Uh, well, <laughs> It's Samhain, technically, because it's Celtic. But uh, Sam is kind of named after Samhain, in a way, which is kind of fun. Um, But yeah, so the opening scene, we have our opening scene, which is uh, Emma, played by uh, Leslie Bibb. Her Halloween husband, uh, Halloween-loving husband, Henry, um, who's played by, I don't even know who he's played by. But uh, he is, uh, they're coming back from this... uh, Halloween parade, pretty much. And so uh, the guy who played Henry was just a Canadian actor. He was on um, Battlestar Galactica. Nothing too insane. Nothing too crazy. Um, I don't think he was in anything, like, super crazy of note or whatever. Do you know what I mean? But, like, whatever. Canadian actor. It's fine. Anyway, so, like, um, they're they're coming back from this little Halloween parade in the the town, as you do. And so... uh, she hates Halloween. Emma does. And so she uh, has this like jack-o'-lantern lit and um, she blows out the jack-o'-lantern before midnight, um, even against the superstitious advice that Henry has. Um, so, you know, Henry and her, like they go back home. He goes upstairs. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, Emma is like, oh, I got to take all this shit down. Like, you know, um, my parents are coming over soon. Like, you know, I got to like get all this, like, cause they have these like scarecrow things up or whatever. Like they're in like sheets or whatever. They're kind of like ghost things or whatever, but like they're little ghost scarecrows, I guess. <laughs> anyway. So like, um, she's like, oh, I got to get these things down. It's going to take forever. I might as well do it now. So her husband goes upstairs and like puts on like some sort of porn tape, I guess. And she's going to like, I guess jerk him off or something. I don't know. Anyway, so they go upstairs. So he goes upstairs. She is downstairs. And of course, um, she's in the yard and she of course says like, I hate Halloween. Um, and so, um, as Henry relaxes upstairs and he falls asleep in the house, he falls asleep. Um, Emma begins tearing down like the decorations in her, in her, um, in her yard um but then is uh ambushed and murdered um by an unseen assailant i'll give you three guess i'll give you a guess of who it is um but anyway so then hours later after he wakes up he goes outside um to his uh to his yard i guess uh, and he discovers her mutilated corpse um on display with um decorations and like this big lollipop like stuffed in her mouth and it's just like real sick and metal so good anyway so like uh and that begins our story that is our opening um so there you go um this is also the same um like little part where jesse haddock is there um thomas decker's husband's there so that's kind of fun anyway so yeah so we'll move into our first story, which they don't really have titles or anything, but I'll go off of what the summary says. So we have principle. We'll call it that. <laughs> 
So Charlie is uh, this little overweight kid who is vandalizing jack-o'-lanterns um, in the neighborhood, and he is stealing candy. Um, so he steals candy from an unattended bowl, which was left by his school principal, Stephen Wilkins, played by um, Dylan Baker. And so seemingly... Uh, taking the offense in stride uh wilkins he offers a candy bar to charlie while uh they sit on the stairs of um principal wilkins house and uh he's lecturing charlie on the importance of respecting halloween rules and traditions and all that kind of stuff um so they're talking about you know the generation he came from and like all that and so charlie gradually uh feels more sick until he pretty much starts to vomit uh, chocolate and blood. (laughs) So this is the part of the movie where my mom was not enthused by watching it, but oh well, it's fine. Anyway, so like, um, yeah, so as Charlie dies, though, we find out that uh, Principal Wilkins, he uh, has revealed that he laced the candy with cyanide, um, remarking, quote, you should always check your candy. So there you go. Anyway, so while he is attempting to, uh, you know, hide the murder pretty much that he had where he killed a kid, um, he hands out candy to these trick-or-treaters um, that come to his house, including Sam. Um, and so Wilkins, uh, pretty much what he does is he attempts to try to bury Charlie in his backyard because he just has like a grave uh, dug up back there. And anyway, so uh, he is uh, going to bury the body in his backyard along with a body of another victim, apparently he has. Um, but he is continually interrupted by his young son, Billy, who's really annoying if you hate kids then you know he might find you might find him annoying which i think is the point anyway so then um yeah so uh his cantankerous elderly neighbor mr krieg lives next door and his um dog spite or i thought it was spike for some reason but maybe it's spite i guess anyway so mr krieg comes out because uh you know apparently wilkins is making noise or whatever and uh the other victim turns out to still be alive though um he struggles in his sack and what wilkins does is he just beats him to death with a shovel um so you know he can't like uh discern any of the noise or whatever (laughs) um but uh krieg does come out of there like he just comes out into his yard we don't see mr krieg yet we just hear his dog and we also just hear him he says this smells like a dead whore out here um which i thought was just like a really silly line but anyway so he then goes back into his house so when wilkins returns back inside he briefly notices that krieg is apparently screaming for help at his window after he went to his house um so he brushes him off because he was a dick to him um before seeing something um before something seems to attack uh mr krieg but we'll get to him anyway so then wilkins uh he uh he uh because his son wants to go to like um he wants to go somewhere i think he wants to go to the parade or something or like whatever anyway but like wilkins guides billy downstairs to carve a jack-o'-lantern because that's what he wanted to do billy wanted to uh he wanted to do a jack-o'-lantern and he's been hiding a knife behind his back the whole time and so after some hesitation um you know, he's down there with his son and uh, Wilkins appears to stab Billy. We think that he's going to kill his son because obviously he just killed this one kid. I'm assuming he probably killed some other kid, I guess. Anyway, uh, Billy, though, we find out is unharmed and it is revealed. It is revealed that the um, knife was actually plunged into Charlie's severed head, which was the jack-o'-lantern that they are about to carve together. And isn't that nice and wonderful? That's so sweet and so so loving as a parent, really. Um, so yeah, that's our little story of principal. Uh, so this is our intro to press uh, professor uh, principal Wilkins. Um, he'll come up back in the story in just a little bit. Um, we're then going to move into our next story, which is Halloween school bus massacre. So, as part of these trick-or-treaters we've seen, uh, a group of teenage uh, trick-or-treaters, Macy, Chip, Schrader, and Sarah, um, they are uh, collecting jack-o'-lanterns, you know, in their neighborhood. Uh, When they meet, uh, I guess, a classmate of theirs or something, or they become aware of her, she's a devout um, Halloween traditionalist who's named Rhonda. And she is kind of this... uh, 
of course, they, of course, somebody has to call her uh, Rhonda the R slur for someone who is developmentally disabled. That's rude, but that's how people talked in 2007. Anyway, so like, uh, so, but she's like an idiot savant. So she's like a, like a autistic savant, you know what I mean? So she's on the spectrum, I guess, in some way, shape or form. Anyway, so then uh, this group, they all go and they're led by Macy who I think was on Dead Like Me, actually. She was, uh, the actress was. Um, but they go and visit this flooded quarry, uh, which was actually shot at a real quarry uh, for some of the exterior shots, and then the rest of it was a set. But anyway, so she recounts this urban legend of what's called the Halloween School Bus Massacre. So in the legend that she is recounting, um, these parents uh, of these eight disabled children pretty much bribed this bus driver um, to dispose of them, right? And so, because uh, apparently they were just too unruly, and these parents were just like, you know, they were just pushed to the limit, and so they decided that they needed to have their kids out of their lives. So before the driver could complete his plan, um, one of the kids, which he um, shackled them to their seats and like all this stuff, we have the whole scene where the bus driver gives them a little bit of candy each and he's like checking their padlocks and like locks and shit like that. Um, One of the kids escapes the shackles and he took control of the bus. But the fact that he is uh, a, you know, a kid and who is also already like, you know, in a position of maybe not being able to drive. Um, what ends up happening is he takes control of the bus, but then he, you know, drives it off of a cliff into the quarry. And so what happens is that the children as a result drown. Um, even though we find out that the driver survived. So, you know, apparently that these kids haunt, uh, this quarry or whatever. Right. And so, again, these all kind of except for the first uh, actually a lot of these stories. So, like, we do kind of uh, go in between them in a way. So I'll just kind of treat them as their own stories, I guess. But anyway, so we have that. And so Macy uh, decides to leave eight jack-o'-lanterns by the lake as a tribute to the deceased since there were eight uh, kids that were killed in this massacre. And so what ends up happening is the group um, splits up pretty much, uh, which we leaves Rhonda and Chip behind. And Rhonda, of course, is like this, um, you know, kind of outsider person. And Chip is also kind of like the he's in this friend group, but like he's kind of like the chubby one, like, you know, kind of seen as like whatever. Anyway, but Rhonda, it, what ends up happening is that um Rhonda ends up going down uh, this like little elevator thing. She goes down there with Chip, I think, too. But she is pursued by these like horrifying figures, right? And she thinks that, um, and she's scared of shit because like she's going, um, they're going in like they left these like pumpkins by this like water, but like then these figures come and whatever. And it it's not until she um, she's hurt. Um, while being chased, she like falls and she hits her head on a rock or something. Um, she's reduced to tears. What ends up happening is that we find out that um, the other teens, the other kids, um, pretty much use this as like a prank. Uh, they disguise themselves as the, as the dead kids. Um, it was all in an attempt to prank her. It was all planned by Macy, which I guess for some reason, Macy was like somehow jealous of Rhonda in a way. I don't know. Um, because you even see that like someone like Schrader or whatever, like kind of, you know, uh, pay some attention to Rhonda. And I guess Macy doesn't like that. So Schrader even realizes like, okay, this trick has gone too far. He tries to comfort Rhonda, you know, and whatever. But then, uh, what ends up happening is that um, after Macy kicks a jack-o'-lantern into the water, um, there, there are actual undead children who emerge as pretty much zombies, I guess, um, from the lake and they attack the teens. And so like they're chasing after them and like they're coming and it's like really fucking creepy and scary. And so, uh, they, they run, run. And then Rhonda, you know, after you know, she's, gone through this whole fucking ordeal or whatever and what ends up happening is uh 
she gets to this little like uh, elevator thing that they they came down in, um, and she ends up just literally abandoning these kids to their death she just like because you because you have this whole scene where like she's in this little elevator thing and the kids are like oh my god blah 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 blah, blah da, 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 right and all that and literally Rhonda just is like push the button she doesn't give a fuck about any of them she's cold blooded and i love it because like that's the revenge like it's a revenge it's like you get what you get you know what i mean and uh and yeah so there you go. And uh, and as as Rhonda goes back up to the surface, leaving these kids to be you know killed by these uh, undead children, um, Rhonda encounters Sam there and uh, exchanges a nod of respect, uh, you know, towards him, you know, and like, hey, you know what? And that's Rhonda's ordeal, girl. But this is one of my... I love this little story, kind of, sort of. Because, like, um, there's not much to it, really. But, like, I just love how Rhonda is a bad bitch. Like, ugh, amazing. Like, I mean, come on. Like, that is... And I think another thing, too... uh, So, another speculation, if you will, would be that... um, People say that, you know, oh, maybe it was because, like, Mike Doherty, like, in this movie kind of... Kind of killed some kids, you know? But, um... Maybe that was why it got pushed back. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, it may, who knows? Like, whatever. I, I don't know. It, it's so kind of over the top in a way, but it, it's so, I don't know. Like, they these little bastards kind of deserved it, honestly. Like, really. But, like, they weren't redeeming, really. Even, like, someone like Chip or Schrader in a way where they were kind of like, you know, oh, like, we went too far, blah, 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 blah. But, like, you still were in on the fucking thing. So, like, don't don't try it, you know? But, yeah, Rhonda's a bad bitch. Love her. Anyway, so, love that for them. Uh, and then, so we have another story here. Again, these are all kind of cut in between. Um, so they're not linear. I'm just kind of going through them, really. Um, but we have our next little little uh series which is called uh i would i guess you could call it surprise party and this i think is probably my favorite one i and it's a lot of people's favorite story in this in this anthology but uh so it starts off so there's a girl named Lori, played by anna paquin who is named after um she's named after Lori strode in halloween uh, so she's self-conscious. She's 22 years old. Apparently she's a virgin. Um, and so she has her friends, um, her sister Danielle and her friends Maria and Janet. They're dressing up for Halloween. So they're in this like Halloween store um, getting costumes, sexy Halloween costumes, as you do as a, a female presenting person. Um, you know, and and uh, so this is where we have our, our scene where uh, Quinn Lord is there and he's like doing a little peeping Tom creeping a little bit jail but anyway so like he uh he's there and uh, but they're like talking and like somebody's like you know you know there's children out here you need to like not be so like you know vulgar or whatever but what ends up happening is Lori is in this they're all in these like different princess outfits right like you know one of them has like this princess ass outfits or whatever one's like snow white the other's like cinderella um and then uh Lori is red riding hood little red riding hood and so um yeah so there's this and then so because she's a staunch traditionalist uh Lori misses just trigger treating with her sister right um and so she has to go into this whole thing of like she's a woman and like she's a young woman and she's like it turns into like a different thing really um and i think that's what's really interesting about these uh particular parts of the story is like you know you have like uh yeah you kind of have like these different people who like when you're a kid and you know this whole thing's happening to you with like the principal and then you have like the little preteens and what happens with them then you have like in your 20s this is what this is like and then when you have mr krieg which we'll get into in a little bit you know it's kind of these different parts of life that you're in um as part of halloween in a way which you could kind of read into a little bit but anyway so the other girls, though, they are picking up dates. So they go to this Halloween parade. Um, we do have a scene here where, um, well, we'll actually talk about this in a little bit. But, like, um, they, Lori declines, though, uh, to not find a date at this, like, Halloween parade. Um, she's in favor of just staying to join, you know, to just stay and enjoy this festival and whatever. Um, and, yeah. 
anyway, so what ends up happening is we we find that there's this hooded man. He's wearing this like face mask of like uh, kind of like a Zorro or whatever the fuck. But he's like dressed as a vampire, um, and he actually killed um, some other chick who was at the Halloween parade, who is lo- played by Laura Manel, who was in Thirteen Ghosts. Um, anyway, so then uh, yeah, so she goes upon like she is at this little festival she's at this little halloween parade and then she decides to make her way to this party that her and her friends are going to have in the woods apparently so she later um while she's on her way encounters this hooded man who is dressed as a vampire who he follows her into the woods and he attacks her right so then um we have this and we have that whole scene with with her and him like he's gonna bite her and everything and then uh we see that there's a bundle of red cloth because we also come back to this party in the middle of the woods right and so all of her friends are there and they're all in their little costumes and they're partying and they all found like you know they have like the the cashier from the halloween store who they like kind of flirted with and they were like hey you should come to this party and like they were getting this party together right of like 20 somethings and uh, so a bundle of red cloth falls from a tree, though, and it reveals that it's this um, bloodied and frightened vampire. It's this guy who's dressed like a vampire that we just saw. And so Lori uh, remarks because uh, she comes out of the she comes out of the the wilderness and and uh, she says that he bit her pretty much. And what they do, and he's hurt, but like they. Uh, unmask him and we are revealed to see that it is actually Steve Wilkins. Um, Cause we do have a little bit of like this, like the thing that happened earlier um, with him, you know, his story, it happened earlier. Um, so this happened later after that. Um, but yeah, he was seeking out victims at the festival. Now, whether or not he was actually a vampire, maybe he was, I don't know, but okay. That's apparently what we're to expect. Uh, but he is in for a rude, rude awakening because what ends up happening is we have this whole um, scene where he is laying on the ground and they decide they're going to start doing this whole like fucking, you know, they're, they're going to start getting into the party. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, th- throughout the movie, they've talked about, you know, like. Oh, yeah, like, they were always, like, she was always the runt of the litter, you know, referring to Lori. Or, like, they're just talking about how they're going to have fun at this party, right? And how they've done it years past and, like, all this. But we we end up finding out is that um, (laughs) Lori and her friends are actually revealed to be werewolves. And so they shed their clothing and their skin uh, before pretty much feasting on their dates that they have now killed. Um, and so because it's her first time consuming somebody, Lori transforms and she eats um, Principal Wilkins. And uh, while on a log, he's sitting on there. Sam is just watching all of this go around him and, you know, just being being an icon. Uh, I love this story so much because like. It's such, it's so out there, you know, and it is so crazy, but like, obviously like part of what you're doing in a movie, like you're going to have some women in it, I guess. And so, and you have these young women who are like these hot young women, like they are, they're attractive young ladies. And so the fact that you turn them from these like hot young women into these like snarling, like, uh, you know, werewolves who are like feasting on these men. It's so punk. I love it. And it's just like so good. They do play a Marilyn Manson song, ugh, but whatever. Um, it, it, and during this, but like, it's just so, and also, I guess too, like Brian Singer kind of was a part of like, you know, getting this to happen of that scene. I think they were definitely inspired by something like, uh, uh, the howling for example, or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I just think this, this series, this scene or, um, this particular story to me, I, I just think it's so fun because, you know, I, I just enjoy. Plus, I guess I was also like at the time I've, I watched this in a way I was closer to that age than I was to the other, to like Macy and her friends or whatever so like you know i was going you know into young adulthood when i watched this i think i was like a teenager so it was a little different but like you know i i just loved it i think it's just so out there and so crazy that i'm like how could you not love it you know and and 
I don't know. It's just, it's really good. I think it's very well done. I think all the actresses in it are great. And I think the effects look really good too. I think that's the other thing about this movie is that the effects are just so fucking good, dude. Like they are, you know, I think part of who was on here, I think it was Bill Terzakis, I think was on this movie. He's unfortunately since passed away, but he was a part of this crew and, and other Canadian people as well and, and other special effects artists. So, I mean, they were just like, it's badass. Like, I don't know. I loved it. And I just think that this particular werewolf story is, is definitely a fun one. And it's, it's one to revisit for sure. I, I just really enjoy it. So that is my little thing about surprise party, if you will. But yeah. Yes, I, I love it so much. Um, you know, my what, what my what big eyes you have. It's like so fun. Anyway, so we'll get to our last story, which we'll call Sam. Um, so Krieg, as we learned earlier, he is a curmudgeon. He hates Halloween and all this, and he is the next door neighbor of uh, Principal Wilkins. Um, so he dresses up his dog to like scare trick or treaters on Halloween um, off of his doorstep. And so he, uh, throughout the movie though, so uh, as the night progresses, he's seeing these different like weird things happening. So like his house is egged, his lawn is filled with like ornate jack-o'-lanterns and all this, and the hallway and his ceiling are scrawled with like a bunch of like Halloween and Samhain greetings and stuff. Um because again he's a curmudgeon he hates halloween uh, all of this kind of stuff um but we have this whole scene where um we have this whole scene where like we found that i guess sam has entered krieg's house um and he also i think like in the meantime as well i think of what happened while that happened actually we have the whole scene of when mr krieg goes outside and he interacts with wilkins so we see that whole scene again which is really interesting you see it from a different perspective but um mr krieg goes back to his house he was also watching tv a little bit and he was going through different like um channels and stuff so like the set it and forget it like little oven thing was one which is like an which unlocked a memory in my mind of like watching that little infomercial where they say set it and forget it uh that um i think also they had at least a scooby-doo movie that was somewhere in there i think it was i'm pretty sure it was the hex girls from the witch's ghost i think that's what it was um scooby-doo and the witch's ghost of course hex girls anyway so uh but yeah he just had like these different things that he like was kind of um flipping through the tv watching a little bit or whatever um anyway so what happens though is that in this story krieg uh, is ambushed by sam in his house um in their struggle though because we have this whole struggle scene sequence if you will there is an homage uh funny enough to uh the changeling in this as well where all of this um these candy balls like fall down the stairs and then there's uh, that's obviously a, it's a reference to the changeling because the ball falling down the stairs um is is in the changeling um which apparently somebody on this uh crew actually worked on the changeling back early in his career he was an older man um and so it was kind of funny that like they were able to to have that in there as somebody who you know he worked on that um i wonder if that was a i, I don't I don't know if that was a Canadian film. I feel like it was, but whatever. Anyway, but uh, yeah. So in their struggle, though, Krieg, um, he uh, unmasks his assailant, which is Sam. Um, And pretty much Sam looks like a hybrid of like a skull and a jack-o'-lantern under his like cute little burlap sack mask head or whatever. Um, Krieg is fighting with Sam and he shoots him several times with a shotgun, which he thinks has killed him. Um, however, though, Sam begins to reanimate, though, because he's that kind of bitch. And he incapacitates and corners Krieg. Um, so instead of killing him, though, he doesn't kill him right away. Um, he actually just impales a candy bar into Krieg's lap, right? Um, and this is completing the tradition of handing out candy on Halloween. Um, and so, yeah, he just like, he doesn't kill him. He's just like, all right, here you go. Um, but yeah, Sam just spares him and he departs and leaves. Um, and what we find out about this whole scene, so again, Brian Cox is such a good actor, and he does a great job at playing this this um, old man, and 
doing all of this work and just doing all these stunts and shit, like just doing all this. It, it's a lot. It's very involved. I feel like, and, and it's, it's very uh, uh, memorable if anything. Um, but a fun little thing about this though, is that what we find out about Mr. Krieg, he hates Halloween so much. And the reason he hates Halloween so much is because we actually find out from photos. Cause he was um, burning photos in the fireplace uh, in the beginning of the story. We find out that Krieg actually was the bus driver of the um, Halloween school bus massacre from earlier story. So that's why he hates Halloween because he had to go and like be a part of killing a bunch of kids on Halloween. You know, he was in that plot. So that fucking sucks. But yeah, so there's reason about why he is the way he is, which I thought was really interesting. And uh yeah, and then Sam whoops his ass. Uh, doesn't kill him. Doesn't kill him. But we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, but yeah. So so that's a little bit about that. And then really, I mean, at the conclusion of this movie, um, we have um, so a heavily bandaged Krieg is giving out trick candy to the trick or treaters as Sam wants him to. Um, on his front porch, he witnesses other characters. Um, uh, about in this uh, movie milling about uh, observing these traditions so for example billy um sits on his father's porch um so billy is the little kid and uh, he's still he's a uh, prince wilkins kid um he's handing out candy and enjoying himself which is really cute um i guess he's not gonna have a dad anymore but okay um and then Rhonda crosses the street um casually pulling she has a wagon full of pumpkins and so like a jack-o'-lanterns and so she's like pulling that uh, Lori and her friends uh, drive by laughing to each other. They like, almost accidentally hit her, but like they don't. And so we see that. Um, and then Emma and Henry, they arrive home from the Halloween parade. Um, and so again, you know, this is where we witness Sam is seeing Emma blow out her jack-o'-lantern and he moves in to kill her. And so then we have that whole thing. So again, this is all just kind of showing what has happened in this movie and it all just comes together really interestingly and very well. And then uh, to close out our movie though, um, Creed goes back into his house and he answers another knock on his door. And this knock is only, he is greeted though by the undead children, you know, from the bus who pretty much uh, tear him apart uh, as revenge for their murder and everything like that. And uh, yeah, that's the end of trick or treat. And so, yeah, this little movie, like, you know, I think it's like a nice little to kind of wrap up on it in a, in a way. Um, I think this movie in particular is, is such an interesting, fascinating look at Halloween, you know, and I'm not going to go too deep into characters or anything like that. I mean, it's kind of hard to do that. Like, because these are all very much stock characters in a way. Like, I don't, I don't think it's, it's, I'm not going to go and like analyze, like, you know, about these, about these characters in particular. I mean, of course, like you could always get into like, um, you get into like, okay, what exactly is principal Wilkins? You know what I mean? Uh, or you could get into like, you know, okay, these, these girls who end up being werewolves, uh, you know, what are they, what is being said about this? But again, I think it is, I think the easiest thing to kind of get would be that it's different parts of your life that we're kind of looking at through Halloween in a way. And I, I kind of like that approach to it. Um, cause yeah, like, you know, when you're, when you love Halloween, like when you celebrate Halloween in your thirties is different. It, when you're, when you celebrate Halloween in your twenties is different than how you'll celebrate it when you're in your later years, like your forties or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and kind of the, the relationship that you have with it. And so I think like, and with that holiday in particular, and plus also Halloween in general is just a, they, they go into a lot of it there on the Blu-ray. I think on the DVD too, they also go into like this history of Sawin and how Halloween came to be. And if you're interested, if you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, you know, definitely check that out. But, but yeah, I just think like this movie in particular, um, it's a tight little script. It's a tight little movie. Um, you know, it doesn't ever say it's welcome or anything, but I think it effectively tells this fun story in a way that, you know, I think is just 
such a, a, a known little, it's just a known little thing that makes you feel comfort in this uh, particular holiday, if you will. Um, I definitely understand why people would watch this during the month of October, or they watch it on Halloween, uh, along with other movies as well, you know, because it gives them a sense of like, this is Halloween to me, and this is what I love, and and all of that. So I, I definitely get it. And um, that's exactly why I wanted to cover it, because I think it's a, a great way to start the, the month, of course, and uh, all of this. But I, I am just so... I, I love this movie. I've loved it since I was, you know, however old when I when I first saw it, you know, when I was like a 17 year old or whatever. But like, you know, I I think Mike Doherty said did such a good job with this film. And I really think like it's nice that he's been able to work after it in a way. But of course, lo- lo- people would love to see more of this, and they would love to see Sam come back up again or whatever. Um, I totally get that. I-, I don't know if it'll happen. I'm okay if it doesn't. I think this is just fine enough. You know, I, I think it doesn't need to be expanded upon, maybe. Um, I'd love to see Mike Doherty do another anthology, maybe. That'd be so super cool. Um, I'd love, you know, that kind of thing would be great. Um I think it's a little, I don't know if we can get Quinn Lord to do it again. I don't know. We have to do that whole thing with, you know, Orphan and Orphan First Kill with uh, Isabella Furman. But, uh, but yeah, I just think, like, this movie is so fun. It's enjoyable. It's a nice little watch during October. It plays on AMC as well. So, like, in terms of what you can where you can find this, a lot of the times, like I said, I saw it on Max, HBO Max. I saw it on there. Um, they, they do stream it every so often. It was on Shutter before. I doesn't. I don't know if it really sh- comes on the Shutter a whole lot anymore. I don't really know. But you it might come on there. I mean, if it's going to show on AMC, it can show on Shutter, of course. Um, but it might be on Max as well. I'm sure it also shows up on Prime as well. Um, like I said, there is a DVD release of this, and also there is a Blu-ray release of this. Um, the Blu-ray looks good. Um, there's some little bit of extra features as well in that. So highly recommend it if you maybe don't already have i didn't have either of those so like i just went for the blu-ray it was fine and i'm happy with my purchase but but yeah i would definitely recommend like please 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 watch trick-or-treat if you haven't done already done so if you're listening to this podcast you probably have already seen it before but again go watch it again and and all that and um and yeah i mean i just think like i'd love to see more of what mike doherty couldn't do and i think we should they should give him money to do things um, because I think he's so good. And I think this movie is just a testament to the beauty of Halloween and the spookiness of Halloween and the enjoyment of it as well. So I think it's a great way to kick off the the rest of the month. And, um, and yeah, if you haven't done it, if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and check it out because I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think you'll have a grand old time and, and enjoy yourself during, during the spooky season, if anything. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so via email at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com in case you want to give any movie or episode recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd like to just say, hey, I'm open to all of it. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Instagram and Instagram threads at Cult Cinema Circle. I tend to post what I'll be covering for the next week on there, post stories, things like that. On X, I'm at Cult Cinecircle. On there, I don't really post a whole lot, but if you want to follow the show, it's there for you to follow. And then on Letterboxd, I'm at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log little movie reviews, I'll log what I'm watching, and then it's also a nice way to kind of see what I might be covering on the show in the future. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where I'll be covering 1991's Ernest Scared Stupid. When Ernest P. Worrell helps two... 10-year-old kids with their haunted house of horror, he ends up running for his life when he unleashes a evil troll from deep below the ground. Now Ernest plots scheme after scheme to try and defeat the troll before it's too late. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, and remember, 
Samhain, also known as All Hallows' Eve, also known as Halloween. Predating Christianity, the Celtic holiday was celebrated on the one night between autumn and winter where the barrier between the living and the dead was thinnest and often involved rituals that included human sacrifice. Take care. Bye.